Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Gays Against Guns is an inclusive direct action group of LGBTQ plus people and allies committed to non-violently breaking the gun industry's chain of death. Investors, manufacturers, the NRA, and politicians who block safer gun laws. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm your host, Sarah Germain Lilly. And I'm Virginia Vitzdoom. And the horror of the gun epidemic resonates even more in the wake of the Supreme Court decision of June 23rd. As if to underline the threat of concealed carry that the Supreme Court case brings, seven people were shot to death at a 4th of July parade outside Chicago. Yet another young unarmed black man, Jalen Walker, was murdered by police in Akron, Ohio. And here in New York City, Asia Johnson was gunned down as she pushed her baby in a stroller. We'll hear more about all of these lives ended prematurely and senselessly in our in memoriam in a moment. Our focus this week is on domestic violence and how it plays into the heavy toll gun violence takes on our families and communities. Our special guest is Stephanie McGraw from WARM. We all really matter, a domestic violence support organization. Before we get to the news, our in memoriam for Asia Johnson and Jalen Walker and the seven killed in Chicago. In memoriam, Asia Johnson. Asia Johnson, a young woman 20 years old, was killed July 2nd, 2022 as she walked with her three-month-old baby in a stroller on Manhattan's Upper East Side. Asia's mother described her as a young queen. My daughter graduated high school with merits, with the inspiration of becoming a pediatric nurse, Ms. DeSort said, reflecting on Johnson's upbringing in Brownsville, Brooklyn. She had a child early, and she was the most wonderful mother that you can imagine. She was hardworking. She worked every day. She's got more credit than a 30, 40-year-old person has. She aspired to have houses and to give her children the best of everything. Although her mother tried to protect her, she lost her life because of domestic violence. Asia had filed a police report for domestic abuse in 2019 when she was pregnant. Her ex-boyfriend has been arrested in connection with her killing. Asia Johnson, we remember you. Jayland Walker. Jayland Walker, age 25, was killed by police on June 27, 2022, after he tried to flee from his car during a traffic stop. Questions remain about the incident, which has sparked repeated demonstrations in Akron, Ohio. 
When I first heard, I was just shocked, just total shocked, said Robert Hubbard. It made no sense to me knowing the gentleman I knew, the young wrestler I knew since he was about eight or nine years old. It just made no sense. Hubbard is a high school wrestling coach in Akron, Ohio, and is still processing the death of 25-year-old Jalen Walker, shot by police dozens of times after a traffic stop on June 27th. Hubbard will remember Walker as one of the sweetest kids. He coached him as a young wrestler for years. One of those kids, you know, I wish I had 10 of them on my team. That was the type of kid he was, Hubbard said. His father brought him to a youth wrestling team we have, and eventually I got him in high school, and he was a kid that I never had any problems from. I've had some kids that have tested me and pushed me. Jalen Walker was not one of those kids. Hubbard said he hoped that if someone he loves was ever in the same situation as Walker was with the police, that they try to assist, not harm. My wish is that they can get them the help, not be judge and jury, he said. But actually, you know, if he needs to be arrested, get him arrested. That would be my wish, not to be afraid of him to the point that after I put 60 rounds in him, he still needs to be handcuffed. When asked what he thinks justice would look like here, Hubbard said he hadn't thought of that. He was still trying to process the loss of the person he knew and loved, but he knows one thing. What I want is for nobody else to have to lose a loved one the way Jalen's family lost him. Jalen Walker, we remember you. Our in memoriam this week would not be complete without honoring those who died and acknowledging the many injured in a mass killing at a 4th of July parade in Highland Park, Illinois. My husband and I were nearby in Eviston, visiting our daughter and son-in-law when we heard about the shooting. As we checked the news, we found our plans for the day of celebration were canceled because of the threat. We grieve with those killed. Kevin McCarthy, 37, and his wife, Irina McCarthy, 35. Eduardo Uvaldo, 69. Catherine Goldstein, 64. Nicholas Toledo Zaragoza, 78. Jacqueline Sundheim, 63. Stephen Strauss, 88. For those who died, for their families and community, we remember you. Virginia, it's tragic that summertime, a time when Americans love to relax, travel, and celebrate, a very important time for families, is a time when we witness an increase in gun violence on our city streets, and we read headlines about horrible shootings that take place where people are gathered. I know. Uh, the 4th of July was already looking worse to me than it has my whole life given the string of Supreme Court decisions, um, including making it easier for everyone to bring a gun out in public, 
plus the January 6th hearings laying out exactly how these Second Amendment freaks are going to try to steal the next election. I thought back on 4th of July when I was a kid, I did like the parades. I liked decorating my bike with the red, white, and blue streamers. Um, even as an adult, I could get a little misty about the Constitution, about being a country that ostensibly was um, all, all people were created equally. Um, but this year, I just felt like the Constitution is completely distorted by these originalists who twist it to outlaw abortion and um, prevent us from having gun safety laws. And the fireworks just sound like guns to me. And they terrify pets and babies and veterans and other people with gun-related PTSD, which is more and more of us in this country. Yeah. And, and then sure enough, just as I'm hating 4th of July, the unthinkable happens. A violent young psycho who has legally bought a semi-automatic rifle shoots straight into a crowd of people at a 4th of July parade. He killed seven, he wounded dozens more, and he terrorized all of us just that much more by adding one more public place where we're thinking, where would I run? Um, I, it's, it's the worst that our country has been in my lifetime. The Supreme Court is set to do a lot of damage. The Second Amendment just keeps getting distorted to mean basically everybody walks around with a gun. And we think, oh, well, there's other places where we compare ourselves to. Like, it doesn't have to be this way. And one of those places is Japan. So how shocking to read that uh, their former leader was assassinated with a homemade gun. It was just like, oh, my God, we're we're spreading our horribleness around the world um, somehow. So next, we're going to bring you the gun violence prevention news and our thanks to Libby Edwards, our Radio Gag team member and contributor of so much wonderful uh, content uh, for this week's episode. To start today's newscast, Gays Against Guns would like to congratulate Gabby Giffords, a survivor and founder of the Giffords Law Center, on her receipt of the Presidential Medal of Freedom for her gun safety advocacy and efforts to end gun violence. Since the Supreme Court overturned a centuries-old New York State gun law that limited who may carry concealed weapons in public, there has been a flurry of response in Albany. Governor Kathleen Hochul signed new legislation to amend current state laws and provide stricter requirements for those seeking to purchase and carry guns in public. The measures include instituting an expanded background check system and reviving a plan to create a database to track ammunition sales. New Yorkers applying for concealed carry permits must now submit detail of their social media accounts going back three years and complete a gun proficiency training course. Handguns will be banned in sensitive areas, including parks, daycare centers, libraries, entertainment venues, playgrounds, zoos, and on public transit, in addition to government buildings and schools. Businesses will also be required to post whether or not they allow people to carry guns on their premises, which will allow patrons to decide whether or not they wish to enter that business. 
and the governor previously signed a law requiring anyone who wishes to buy semi-automatic weapons to be 21 years old. Conservatives and the GOP have declared these laws to be, quote, unconstitutional and plan to challenge the laws in court. New York Attorney General Letizia James and New York City Mayor Eric Adams are also planning to sue the manufacturers of untraceable firearms such as ghost guns, which can be made from a kit or with a 3D printer. A homemade ghost gun was used to assassinate the former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe on July 8th. Attorney General James is also continuing her lawsuit against the NRA, which is still in the discovery stage. The Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, signed by President Biden on June 25th, provides expanded funding for mental health services, crisis intervention programs, community violence prevention, and school safety. It also includes several provisions that relate more directly to firearms and who can purchase them. It provides additional funds for state red flag laws and has expanded an existing law to close the so-called boyfriend loophole. So now all people convicted of domestic abuse are banned from legally owning a firearm. A disturbing footnote to the Highland Park mass murder on July 4th is that Illinois did not employ its long-standing red flag law and issued a weapon to the 19-year-old shooter who had a record of violent threats dating back to 2019. Our program today was prompted by a town hall convened by Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney in response to a murder on New York's Upper East Side. Stay tuned for more from Radio Gag. We are Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show, and you can hear us on WBAI 99.5 FM Free Speech Radio or on your favorite podcast platform. So Pour yourself an icy beverage, sit back in the shade, and listen in while Radio Gag shares all the dish on how to end this horrific gun violence epidemic. Now, we turn to our interview, our powerful interview with Stephanie McGraw, who heads an organization called WARM, W-A-R-M, We All Really Matter which helps survivors of domestic violence. Welcome listeners. We are here with Stephanie McGraw, the founder of WARM. We all really matter. An organization that supports victims of domestic violence. And Stephanie speaks as someone who has the lived experience of a survivor as well. Stephanie, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me, Sarah and Libby, who I met at the uh, town hall that Congresswoman Maloney put together. So I'm just honored to be here, and thank you as well, uh, Virginia. Stephanie, would you tell us what led you to create WARM, and how do you go about supporting victims of domestic abuse? So what led me to create WARM is that 15 years ago, when I found myself in an endless loop of despair, leading to nowhere but a continuing of pain and suffering, um, and I find myself uh, going um, to a domestic violence shelter out of the state. When I came back to New York, I realized that there just was, wasn't any 
there wasn't any women that represented uh, my my color skin, um, my uh, my lived experience, and it was no one that I can really identify with. And there there just wasn't the resources in the Harlem area 15 years ago. I know that you said at the town hall that the WARM has a very active uh, collaboration with the police in the local precinct. How does that and help protect people who are being abused? Well, thank you for asking that question. It's, it's very interesting and it's very unique because it's not something that you would um, expect to see or it was something that, again, did not exist. But the reason why it was very important for us as Black women to go into these departments, because we knew, we know in our community that Black women, women of color suffer 30% uh, 30 more than the white counterpart. We know that during the pandemic that there were a lot of women of color that was trapped in these very horrific situations with these men. And now they were in prison and locked in with these abusers and abusers had a like get out of jail card free. Like I can do what I wanted to do now because the world is shut down. So all of that information, I just decided to say, you know what? I'm going to go into one of the local precincts that started with one here in my community, 3-2 precinct. Um, my office is on 126. The 3-2 precinct is on 135th. And the numbers at the 3-2 precincts are one of the highest radio calls of domestic violence in the city, one of them. So we went in, we talked with the commanding officer, we talked with the DV officer, we told them, here's our program, here's what we're doing. And um, if any women that are coming in and need help, we're here. We stayed open during the whole pandemic. So the commanding officer, Greeny, started sending victims to us. It was so successful with them getting into us, us getting them out, getting them into shelters, uh, moving them out into safety, that he told his officer, okay, well, we're going to work with Warren because there's nobody else around right now. And that's how it started with just one commanding officer. He sent one young lady over to me. She had just got out the hospital. She had a, a broken arm. She had a two-year-old son. Her, her boyfriend was very dangerous. He had not yet got picked up. And when she came to me, I just told her my story. I'm a black woman. And um, 15 years ago, I was almost murdered. And if you don't get out now, he's going to kill you. And it was just that simple. The police don't have that kind of way to reach some of these young Black women because they have trained to do their job and they don't understand this side of the coin. But we do. And that young lady, we got out the same day she came. We went to, the, went to her home with the police. We packed her stuff up and we got her to a safe house. And that's how my job, my work started with the precinct. Now I've spread it now to 15 precincts because from that commanding officer, Inspector Vincent Greeny, um, you know, he started talking about our work. And if you officers and any of these precincts need help, Miss McGraw, boom, we are really mad as dead. So that's how it started. That's amazing. And I understand from our conversation the other night that you were one of the first people called when Asia Johnson was murdered on the Upper East Side and that she had been a previous victim of violence by her partner. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience? 
So when I got the call that night, it was somewhere around nine-ish or so. And I got the call from the uh, local precinct and I was actually winding down, getting ready to get in bed. But because we are first responders, we, we are the critical first responder team that get on the scene immediately. We don't let no grass, nothing grow. We get out there. Look, what do you need us to assist you with? We're here. If the families need help, we here. We offer that immediate help because the trauma is just so great. So when we got there, the tragic had already happened. Um, I did speak about what happened that night. And um, the next day we decided to do a candlelight vigil because that's who we are. So she was in a domestic violence shelter. So let me just give you that information. That's how she got to 95th Street and 3rd and Lexington. Mm -hmm. um, because she was somewhere in a shelter somewhere in the neighborhood, I can't disclose. Uh, but the abuser was able to lure her out. And what could have been done different? And this is a, probably a little bit, Libby, about what I spoke to you about in my cry. Um, Sometimes when you're on the ground, with your boots on the ground and you're doing the work and you're embedded and invested and, you know, you don't have time to do all the major stuff behind the scene. But one of the things that makes it very critical is resources. And right now, warm has a lack of resources because there's a lack of funding and all the money is going to these big conglomerates that are out there that have really great names and i don't get me wrong because they've done some great work but we are a uniquely different design organization that go in and help women when there's a critical need when there's someone has been taken away from us and we have a unique style we we are all women of color and latino women that have had the lived experience and if asia would have had just like a mustard seed of how dangerous it is because let me just go back 15 years ago i didn't know how dangerous it was because 15 years ago, I almost died. And what I tell women all the time, don't let Asia life, all the other women I took away, don't let her end be your end. But be, when you grow up, when you grow up in, in um, depravity, when you grow up in lack, when you grow up in deserts, when you go grow up in um, marginalized community, when you grow up in communities that's underserved, when you grow up in poverty, like I did, you know, I, my mother's a black woman. Our duty was to just try to get food on our table. So she wasn't capable of meeting our basic needs, like making sure we got an education, making sure that we were fed and we were well-rounded and understood the dangers. So domestic violence for me was normal. I thought this, this is how we grow up. I saw my father beat my mother and all my other friends. And so we didn't have the information and the education. So when I was left for dead and wind up in the hospital, it was the social worker that said to me, cosmetology city I live in, I live around all this greatness. How in the world, I'm not gonna know that domestic violence has a name and it's a crime, not a shame. But it took me all them years to understand that that's what it was because I didn't have no identification. So you can't fix what you can't see. So for Asia, and myself, that's why I came back to Harlem and to deal with women of color because no one told me about how dangerous it was. And I didn't know the signs 
And every time when you're trying to leave the abuser, that's when most of the time women are killed because domestic violence is all about power and control. So, so if Asia had that information about it's dangerous when you're out, stay out, then get some resources, get some, get some services. We got some amazing work we're doing here with women. And to wrap up, is there anything you'd like to say about WARM? Yes. So thank you so much. Uh, WARM is a non-for-profit domestic violence organization. We are boots on the ground, grassroots in the communities. And we are an organization that physically stayed open during the whole pandemic because we knew the need was critical. So we're located at 8 West 126th Street. And that is in Harlem on 126 between Lenox and 5th. We have a hotline number that you can uh, call us at 917-736-1046. And we have an office number that we can be reached at at 917-736-1621. You can go to our website at weallreallymatter.org if you want to make donations. Look, we are a grassroots, so we heavily rely on donations. If you want to come volunteer and offer whatever your gift that you have, if you are, if you are a publicist, if you are someone that know how to design websites, you know, we need, um, we are always in need of uh, people to come share their gifts with us. And you can also reach us at, um, on our Twitter page, on our Instagram page, that's warm, W-A-R-M, NYC. That's our Instagram page. And we're open Monday through Friday from 10, from 9 to 6 p.m. And we're available to help you. Well, I know you're in the middle of a hundred things there. And we thank you so much. Uh, I hope that I will be able to get up and say hello in person and see what you're doing. I would very much like to do that. And we thank you just from the bottom of our hearts for this great, great interview. I think it will be very thank helpful. You so much. Thank you for having me. And, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to reach um, and, and, and educate uh, people in the city that don't really know about it and maybe reach some women that are in abuse relationships. So we just hope and pray that we, uh, this is an opportunity to bring a little more awareness. So thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Libby. Thank you, Virginia. Stephanie McGraw, thank you for the work that you do with We All Really Matter, supporting the survivors of domestic violence and for remembering and working with the community, the families, the people, the loved ones that are left behind. Thank you. Oof. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, what strength and grace to go back to the most painful moments of your life in order to help others who are also going through domestic violence. You can hear what a nightmare it was for her, how disempowering domestic violence can be. And I was really intrigued by the way she positioned um, her openness to working with the police against the moment of, of uh, George Floyd and defund the police. Um, really important to just work on all fronts. 
Um, and clearly she has saved some lives. If the police are trusting her as a liaison to victim, victims of domestic violence, they have to take her seriously about how dangerous these threats are, which police sometimes do not. You just hear these stories over and over again. A woman is dead. You go back and, oh, she called the police a bunch of times about his threats, about his um, having a gun, about his beating her up. So it's really good to have Stephanie and her colleagues uh, talking to the police, especially in the cases where as she said, a woman is pregnant or trying to leave, which are the two points at which a woman is at greatest risk of being killed by a violent partner. Um, and is in terms of guns and domestic violence, there was an early radio, earlier radio gag show by our colleague Paul Rowley, um, who did a whole show about the coercive threat of a gun in the house. Um, of course, if the gun is there, you're likelier to die from murder or suicide. But Paul's show talked about how the mere presence of a gun can um, harm and terrorize a woman just by its being there. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. And we know that you are many times more likely to die of homicide even more times likely to die of suicide or those, and that extends to the family members, members in the household when there is a gun present. Uh, please remember that gun ownership is a tremendous life and death responsibility. It's time to end our show. And to find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram or GAG, G-A-G, No Guns, on Twitter. Everybody is welcome at any and all GAG events. Another great way to get involved is by becoming a WBAI buddy. A WBAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. Just a modest monthly contribution can really help keep us on the air here at BAI to bring you this live show about gun violence prevention. There aren't that many shows like that every week. Just go to BAI, WBAI.org or give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we are back with a new episode every Tuesday. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. And now we leave you, by the way, Virginia and I are both alumni, so you might hear us singing uh, with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Oh.
Take your gun.